So hey there, Jason. Uh, great to see you again, uh, and um, great to have another episode to uh, to share with people today. Uh, this one we talked to Patrick Kinney from Travelers. Interesting conversation. Uh, I think about you know you think about insurance people and insurance agents and, and insurance professionals. A lot of people don't realize uh, how human they are. I mean, this guy is. I mean, he reeks humanity. <laughs> Pat- Patrick's great. I met Patrick. Almost two years ago now, he came into our office in the city back when we had an office and, um, you know, it just so much about him is is warm, welcoming. Uh, he's got just real, uh, real firsthand experience in the industry. I mean, you'll hear him talk about it, 38 years. Right. So the amount of uh, stories he has to share and experiences they have really come through. And uh, he was really kind enough to share those with us today. Yeah. And I think. Um... You know, despite the fact he's a veteran of insurance, he certainly does uh, seem to believe in the value of technology and sees, uh, you know, the myriad ways uh, the industry could maybe change. Yeah, he's a super sharp guy, you know, really on top of things. Uh, you, you don't have to know what the technology is. You have to know what the problems are and you have to know that, that there's opportunity with technology. And he's 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 got good people behind him on the innovation team. We'll talk about that a little bit in the podcast. So, um you know, just overall, uh, fantastic guy, thrilled to have him on the show and, um, uh, you know, look forward to seeing him again in person when, when the time comes. Yeah. When we can get out of this pandemic and meet in person again, uh, with that though, let's get, uh, let's get right to this episode. Welcome to another episode of The Enlightened Agent, the podcast that brings you conversations with insurance professionals and gives us their perspective on the industry. I'm Dean Gemmel, and I'm joined, as always, by my host, Jason Keck, the CEO of Broker Buddha. And our guest today, someone we're honored to have here, is the Executive Vice President of Enterprise Distribution Management at Travelers, Patrick Kinney. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Hey, great to be here with you and uh, get your take on some things but let's start with uh let's get our take on you patrick uh give me a little bit of your backstory and uh and how you entered the insurance industry um i've seen uh really your terrific speech on youtube but uh fill us in a little bit more on on how you wound up in insurance and at travelers sure so um if you would have asked me in 1983 graduating penn state if i would be in the insurance business i would have said absolutely not i interviewed with travelers on campus and and didn't get the job, didn't have a job. In 1983, interest rates were probably still 17, 18% coming out of the Great Recession of the 70s. So there were really not a lot of jobs around. The economy was switching over, um, coming out of the 70s with the crisis with Iran. It was just, the economy was in a bad place. So when the job came available to go into the insurance business, I thought, well, I don't know anything about it. I'll give it a year. I'll go to Hartford. And then after that, I'll find a job in the Philly area and I'll go home. 38 years later, I'm still here. And it, it was just turned out to be something that I really loved as you went through it. It just it didn't know anything about it. Uh, but as you learned it, it touched everything in the economy. It, it, you, know, you had to learn how to underwrite the economy. And it had all the aspects of dealing with uh, technology and people. So I had no intention to get in it. And as I got in it, I probably for many years were going to get out of it. And that actually never happened. And Travelers was 
happenstance. They had uh, selected a class. There were 21 people in the class to be hired to be national account executives. And number 21 came to the class and went two days to the school, said he hated underwriting and numbers and quit. And then they called me and I got the opportunity to come in. I, I don't know who number 21's name is, but that young man changed my life. Thank well, that, you to him. Yeah, it would be great if we could find out who he is through this <laughs> podcast. So. so it's been, it's you said 38 years at Travelers, Patrick? Thir- 38 years I'm, I'm, in, July, in July. Yeah, I, I'm sure you've played a lot of uh, fun in different roles and seen a lot of things. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell the the audience what you do specifically uh, for Travelers now? What, is the, sure, what does sure. enterprise distribution mean? So Travelers sells its product through uh, independent agents. Okay, and so we really don't sell almost any of our $32 billion of premium direct to the consumer. It's all through independent agents. Okay, and those agents are how we distribute the product. They at one time were many, many independent agents who, you know, were on your local corner. They, you know, they were, they're phenomenal business people. Over the last 10 to 15 years, the industry has continued to consolidate significantly on the agent side of the house. Uh, what we do is manage all those relationships. The Traveler sells almost 24 different products into our eight, through our distributors. Okay. When you think about auto liability, private nonprofit insurance, DNO, and we distribute through a very common platform for PI, business insurance, and and BSI. So you have to manage all those pieces. You have to figure out how you pay them there. We have 13, we, we may have, a, we have 13,000 agents, but about 250 of them drive 85% of our volume. Got it. So, That's, right. uh, so those, those are the special ones. Those are the ones who get your time. <laughs> well, well they get everyone's does. time because insurance is still local. You still trade it at the street level. You have to know what's going on uh, locally to underwrite it. Um, but you also have to be able to see now that it's become a very national system owned by uh, significantly different public private equity players than it was 20 yep. years ago. 11 of the top 25 distributors are owned by private equity. Uh, 11 of the top 25 are owned by private equity. Okay. Uh, That's a and, stunning number. Yeah. And what was that like uh, 10 years ago, for example? Didn't exist. <laughs> private equity in the 90s uh, and the 2000s, you had a period where um, our friends Brown and Brown were the acquirers. You had a long period, and they did a phenomenal job. But you had a long period where the banks were buying the mm. agencies. Uh, and then you've now seen a rotation. The private equity began to, if you watch the numbers, really rotate in, in 2010 after the financial crisis and has ramped up its investment over the last 11 years into it. Um, so that's where the money's been coming from to buy it. So a lot of, a lot of, I mean, that's in 38 years, you've seen a lot, right? You've seen the, yeah. the, the agents, uh, the agencies yeah. are moving from sort of independent local shops into these private equity backed, you know, large groups driving a lot of the business. Um, you know, I've spent the last 20 years in the technology industry. Uh, and as I came into insurance, you know, people were telling me, you know, the agents are becoming less important because technology is coming. Um, I'd be interested to get your take on why, why are agents still important, right? If, if they're, if sure. they're hinge on the yep. private equity side, why can't, why can't tech replace them? What do they do that's so special? I get that question all the time, right? And the first thing is one, 
the industry has the agency side and distribution side has been consolidating my whole career. Okay. okay. My whole career, yep. John, you know, there are names that, you know, are lost to the history of the industry, but Johnson, J and H and other names, Karun and black and Fred S James and Cedric, uh, were all bought for a long, long time. It was the big that bought the big, and, but the big didn't control as much as the market as they have today. Hmm. It shifted from the big buying the big to the big buying the small to become big using hmm. private equity money to, to do that. Uh, so who's been buying has changed and who they, what they're buying has changed over the years, but the idea of it consolidating has not been different. So, oh. Um, my whole life, a career, as you said, the agent has been rumored to be extinct. Uh, it has not <laughs> happened in so, any way, shape or form. The number of independent agents have grown, uh, even with it consolidating more people are entered in this business. Um, I, you know, I think COVID is going to speed up the integration of technology uh, and the, and the customer and the agent, this industry you know, let's face it, we have these great conversations about, you know, technology and all to change the business. The problem is so fundamentally easy. It's scary. Can you take in information to give me an application with an answer? And, and you just sit there and go, guys, there's not brain surgery to solve this. And yet you've got five different people trying to solve it. So I think what's going to happen is there's technologies coming into this, um, like there's Broker Buddha, there's other technologies that are coming into the front. The agency management companies are remaking themselves as they speak because um, the, the consolidation of distribution is changing, in my opinion, changing the leverage in this equation because us and the, the distributors, I mean, and the uh, agency management companies always kind of built our process around us controlling the process, i.e. being the carrier. Yep. And at one time, we actually owned the agency management companies. We started them. I sold technology in this business back in the early 80s. Okay. So um, that's going to change because with the shift in leverage, the distributor will define how the process happens, not the manufacturer. And that's us. Well, it and should, so it, it should, it should be, be that customer. way. It should be the yeah, customer, it should be the right? Yeah. You look at, you look yeah. at the way Amazon's been successful by creating a great client experience, right? At the end of the day, yeah. you, you know, the, this is one of the things that shocked me coming into the industry is that, you know, the, the sellers had most of the power in this industry, right? In the past. And by sellers, I mean the, the carriers, the providers, right? You got the Well, the surplus. Surplus. The surplus. Sur but it's rare that you have an industry where the buyers don't have more control. Right. I mean, the buyers have the money. They're spending the money. You would think that they have some some leverage yeah. and control, but they haven't. Well, I, and I think it's a, a great question and a complicated problem because it's. Yeah. This one of the few products where you're actually you're selling an intangible product and you're taking risk. Right. Yep. And so when you start with a product, you get out of bed and say, well, I don't want to sell them all. It's a really interesting mindset of how you think about it. And uh, so, and because it grew up the way I, I explained before, I think now it is going to change and you're going to, uh, where you'll see a change and where we have to see a change is first see the customer 
adapt tools where they can put their information in it, use the Accord forms, connect the exposure information, connect the experience so they only have to do it once, get their information back, and start creating a virtuous loop of how it's going to work. If you get that with the technology like yourselves and others have brought in, then that enables you to connect to a better technological snack coming in. Either you want to come into Salesforce, you want to come into yeah. you know, anywhere else you want to go, your agency management system, we start with a significantly better process. I have never seen an industry in my life that cannot get name, address, and phone number correct. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it, drives, it drives you insane. And I've been watching it chase it for 38 years. So, so where, where do you draw the line here? And by that, I mean, um, what do you think technology can do, you know, at least for the next five years, because obviously in 10 years, who knows, technology can do a lot more, but you know, where, what are the agents, you know, what are they critical for? And what do you expect technology to be able to? So, and I may have a, a significantly uh, be afflicted with, uh, you know, old dinosaur disease. Okay. And so, but <laughs> No, nobody's accusing you of that. So <laughs> yeah, but where on. I'm going to go in a minute here is that the sale of the product uh, is complicated. Yep. If you look at and break it down, personalized insurance, you know, I love the product. It's complicated to make money on, but for the customer to understand and buy, it's a house, it's a car. You can rate it, you can do it online, you can do it quickly. The variables don't change a lot in terms of what the customer needs to give you. Right. What, need, what you need to be extremely good as the risk selection and, and the parsing of the information to understand where to, where to take risk, how to take risk, when to take risk, when to move the dial. So as the insurance carrier, and that basically makes the front end and PI, which you see is comparative greater than others, in essence, Amazon. Right. And we're having to supply to Amazon. Well, has, why hasn't the industry has? Why hasn't that come to major parts of the bond business or... The business insurance business is you immediately get to multiple levels of complexity of what you're insuring. It gets extremely hard for the customer. You know, if I say to Dean, look around your office, tell me everything you got to insure right now and the things you have to fill out on the form, it's significantly right. different than when you have to do for a, a, a personal insurance policy, right? So the, the, the forget the how the industry is overcomplicated by building their own process to get access to the supply specifically around their own product, right? That's, that's a problem all across the board in terms right. of how to make it simpler uh, in terms of the connection between us and our distributor. But the trade for the customer is still complicated. What is business insurance? How does it work? Where does it come from? And, it, and, and the other part is it's still a product that's sold. <laughs> No one gets out of bed, and at least nobody I know, and so you know what? I want to buy insurance today. You know what? I really want to buy business insurance today. I'm gonna. This is gonna be a big day, right? <laughs> it doesn't happen. It's a product that's sold, and it's a product no one wants to buy. Do you want to buy insurance? I mean, I I, I do because I need to, and I know that there's a time of that's year a when I need to. That's but... a different equation. I, that's I, different, right? You yeah. need it because need it. you can't do business without it. That's fair. If you could do business without it, I think you'd tell us what to do with our product and our process. You tolerate it because you cannot do business without it. That really taints, I think, over the industry's history, their desire, uh, or just how it's gotten fixed. Because think about it. It's a, it's a risk transfer product 
uh, we do make it hard to buy. You don't, you don't <laughs> no, people don't like thinking about risk. They don't like thinking about when things are going to go. No, wrong. the customer doesn't think about it that way. Yeah, right. But, like, right. but I know, but I got to think about it that way. Cause that's how we make money. The guy. No, no, but look, the, you're, you're actually helping the cut. I mean, look, the reality is yeah. customers need it. And we'll, we'll, we'll come to this later around. You know, I, I, I know there are stories out there where, you know, businesses have been saved, right. By, by yeah. the fact that they have policies. Well, so. well that, yeah, but to your point is the hardest part about selling insurance you know, as my partner, Scott Higgins, always says, he runs our middle market operation. He always says, um, you can't test drive insurance, yeah. right? And so the only time anybody sees if our intangible product works, if unfortunately something goes wrong in their life. And so when that interaction happens, we're not starting off, unfortunately, with the customer in a good mental place, in a good mood. And now you're picking that up and saying, okay, something's gone wrong. And, and it's it could be something minor to something incredibly tragic. And, and so in how we interact and deal with the customer, that's the point when the product matters. Right? One of the things I've seen, um, I realized coming into the space is that for most businesses, mine included, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to be an expert in insurance policies, the details, right? I, I rely on my, my, well, my brokers, that's why my you, agent. That's why you need the agent. Exactly. When, when does it become like, what scale do I need to be at in order to either have a level of expertise or have somebody who's in a risk management world? Like what, you know, it tends to work. I mean, depending on, so that's a great question, right? So you mean you think about your business and what you do for a living and you're a technology guy and you don't get sure. out of bed and say, I'd like to do this by myself. I'm going to hand it over to there. Cause I don't understand the D and O the E and O there's parts of it. I just don't get. And if it doesn't work, or uh, something happens, I can go back to the agent and hold them accountable as the expert, right? So yep. it's a complicated trade. And that's what I think makes it hard um, uh, to do. But, um, oh, I lost yeah, my train of thought. Yeah, I was going to say, when, when, when does it make sense for me to have some, when does it make sense for me oh, to Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Usually uh, risk managers come in. So inside companies, you'll have, you know, uh, the CFO will handle it to a certain level. But when you yep. get up to an account, in the insurance, which is about a, over a, that has over a million dollars a year in losses, and then losses. you have in losses, then you have perfect, which leads to significantly more in premium and risk transfer. But over a million dollars in losses, a million dollars in premium, then you get to your professional risk managers who do a Got phenomenal it. job managing that risk. But I will tell you, they won't take they they don't come in to manage risk to take the risk themselves. They come in to manage risk to reduce the risk. They may they may unbundle claim handling. They may look at a lot of ways to have a lot more control over the process. Um, but they don't usually most ninety nine percent of the time ever take the risk. Got it. Yeah. Outside of what they can self insure, but that's when you get the professional risk manager. Uh, and then they, because the portfolio across all the lines is so big, you need somebody, an expert in your company and insurance. I hope I never get $10 million in losses, but yeah, I, mean, I guess maybe I hope I do. Well, that if you get to a million dollars in premium, my man, you won't be worrying about anything else in your life. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. You, you guys have touched on a couple of great points about business insurance, both the complexity of it and, and the stakes are higher, right? I mean, it's, yeah. not, it's not a simple task of, you know, it's one thing to click on line for, to insure my car. But when you're talking about a business or company and people's lives, the, the stakes are considerably higher whether people realize it when they're talking to their agent or not. Well, the individual buying it, the individual that needs it, being the business owner is exposed in many diff more ways. 
you know, in, you know, because they run a business, because they're in the community, because they have a board of directors, because right. they, you know, have a footprint, because they have employees. And a homeowner's policy have a home. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I have a car, and there, you can understand pretty quickly. Okay, buy the car. I put the limit. <clears throat> I get hundred thousand dollars limit if I hit somebody. You might really hate both of them too. You might not be too unhappy if you lost your home and your car. <laughs> right. But you kind of know what it is. And when you right. buy auto insurance, most people look at it from the standpoint of minimizing the cost, not maximizing the protection. Right. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. So when they get in, they underinsure themselves. I can't, uh, having spent as much time in tech as I have, I can't help steer the yeah, conversation sure, back that way. Um, Absolutely. You know, insurance in Silicon Valley are, aren't typically used in the same conversation very often. So I'm curious, as, yeah. as a leading commercial insurance carrier in the country, how do you guys approach innovation and technology? Like, what's how do you get that done? You have a classic innovator's dilemma, right? Big company, you got to innovate, but there's got to be things you do. What what does travelers do in that world? Yeah. So first of all, we travelers across the board. We established an innovation office. We 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 embraced agile. In our technology and our in our claim area and technology area, probably almost ten years ago, and we're now we brought it into our businesses. We've integrated uh, value streams, circle teams across uh, all of what we're doing, and then we're infusing that what we're learning from innovation. We've also taken a much bigger, much different thought about the process that when I started with technology is we, you know, we would say, okay, what's that going to? How long that's going to take? How much? Yep. Six million dollars, two years, uh, right? Yep. And so we'd send somebody off, and they'd go, they'd build it and build it, build it, come back, it'd be twelve million dollars, seventy percent complete, and it, and it comes over the wall. <laughs> like and nobody's absolute, and nobody's right. absolutely. The only thing you're short of at that moment is everybody's unhappy, right? right? So um, change is hard. <laughs> yeah, change, that's for sure. Yeah, so change is hard. But at where I see tech right now for us is we've taken in innovation and we said. Let's look at every aspect of our process. We feel the tech deficiency for the industry is in a couple of places. Interface with the customer, right? Boom, got to be better in yep. personal insurance, in any insurance. However you define what interface with the cover customer is, if it's the front end part of, of taking a court forms that are digitized by your company and brings it to, to us for the customer, if it's and then bringing them back a rate like you might do in personal lines, or is it servicing endorsements in the back end? So there are two major deficiencies. The front end connections are not what they are in any industry and they got to be fixed. Yep. The data that's transferred between the two sides is broken from the start. That's why you need a, a broker Buddha to feed it into our agency management systems to feed it into us. We need to verify that data that comes in, connect it with things like certified business and other information, yep. wash it up against what we have and repeat it. And, yep. and I think what's changed is we're not taking it offline and thinking, okay, let's take six years to solve it. We're saying, what's the problem? These three areas, what can solve it the fastest? And we're not sitting back any longer and say, okay, we're going to wait for the industry to solve it. We said, you know what? It's time to go. Let's see if we can figure out where it's going. It feels like the industry is really thinking, but needs to change. And so I've never seen a better opportunity to integrate better tech into the process 
but it all has to be designed for frictionless process for the customer in whatever aspect it's solving. So you guys have an innovation team that's kind of doing the the sort of build partner buy like is that the idea is you get yes, the problems just, and they they yeah. they go figure it out like maybe we should build it maybe we should talk to you know company x company y is that yes that we've moved you know so so i actually uh, thanks for asking that question i just came off a two-hour <laughs> innovation jam that we did internally um, okay. it was phenomenal we we sponsor an innovative jam multiple innovation jams throughout the year now Okay. We've been doing that. What's an innovation uh, jam? Is that like so? A- we walk, we go out to our folks, and I actually participated in this year, one this year, and we say, "Hey, we're going to spend uh, forty-eight hours. You're going to come up with what your idea is. You're going to cool. you're going to come up with a team. You're going to say what I want to solve today is ergonomics from home. Okay. And you get your team together. We put together the process for you. Before COVID, they all we would all come into our into our building. It's a 24-hour event and you work with your team. You have rules and process and then you present your idea. Cool. And, and then so we've just went through these folks that we went through today. Um, they're down to the final six ideas and they're incredible ideas all around different ways to use technology. Most of it being connected in, used differently than we ever have before. But what we're, you know, I mean, conversations about how do you manage that API store? How do you maximize yourself on the AP, you know, the ratings you're getting in API? Uh, if you ask me what's changed in insurance, I can guarantee you we were not having that conversation in 1983. Right. That's true. <laughs> API is 83? <laughs> no, definitely no. not. You know, the Rackle made rack, the, I had the first personal computer to travelers, the first computer, um, portable one yeah and it uh, it weighed about 40 to 50 pounds because i was selling systems from the travelers to the agent uh and it uh it had about six inch screen the screen was about this big you had a floppy disk and you had a rack you had a you put your phone in the side of it that had a rackle made modem that went at 9600 baud but that was that was yeah. that was how I was watching paint time, dry, man. buddy. Yeah. I was watching paint dry. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't have to. You didn't have to write it out by hand and send it in the mail, right? Was, I had to mail some stuff this morning. I mean, what a pain in the butt! I'm just like, really? You need something physical? Yeah. It took me, it took me 30 minutes to print it, sign it, package it, get to the store. I mean, I do I do paperwork. But if you think like, about what you're just saying there, the way the industry has historically thought about that or any of the industries are thinking now, customer inconvenience around something that shouldn't be inconvenient is no longer going to be tolerated. And I think COVID has put that on steroids. And I think any company cannot respond to that, cannot bring their people to understand that you have to be thinking constantly about where it's going. I think we'll not be able to keep up where it's going. And so that's why we're you know taking multiple technologies multiple paths testing where it's going but constantly going at the three main problems connection integration information all and and just creating it in a loop that keeps coming back around and taking needless process out of it right 80 to 95 we offer a renewal on 95 percent of accounts that doesn't mean we renew them all right right Okay, we the industry starts that process every time, like we don't know the customer. <laughs> <laughs> huh. 
my 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 uh, friend and boss Greg Chesoski always says we start the thing by uh, frisking the customer instead wow. of saying hello, thank you right. for your business. Here's your information. Exactly what you want to do. Here's your information from last year. Think about how your product can help the renewal and the process of the renewal, because ultimately it isn't just about the start, it's about completion and keeping it all the time and what it can do for the broker. Our distributor has to be much easier to do, do business with as, as yeah. us, because they have to bring an Amazon experience too. So I think it's, I think it's pushing the boundaries on what each of us have to do to deliver where the customer's going. Yeah, I mean, the, the low hanging fruit, and the, I mean, I, I came into this, you know, four years ago and the low hanging fruit here was just give the customer the information they gave you last year and get them to update it. Don't make them fill out forms again. I mean, that is just it's asinine. Right. And, and yes, we solved that. We're doing a lot more than that, but like, that was the <laughs> first thing I was like, what, what's, how does this work? And they started telling me, I was like, okay, stop. We're going to fix that problem. And then we're going to go from there. So I have a, I have a common phrase for that but I'm absolutely certain that the lawyers would scratch that one. So, <laughs> Well, that, we, we'd love to hear it though. No, so we, we won't go there with that, Patrick. But hey, you mentioned COVID and how it's changed con consumer expectations. Um, sort of how else do you see it accelerating change and impacting the work you do? Oh, I, th you know, I don't think that there's anything COVID hasn't impacted and I don't right. think you'll you know, I don't think some of us will be here to know what the ultimate long-term impacts of it, because I think this will impact the world for 40 or 50 years, just in things yep. that it's done and where it's at. And if you look at the last Spanish flu, what happened after that was good for a while and didn't get better after that. So uh, th this is not over. The fact that we'll be able to take our mask off does not tell us what's going to happen to the global economy you know, governments, there's still a lot more to play out here. So how it's changed the business is the customer now wants the information. Well, all of us had to be able to complete the trade at home. So yep. all the ways we thought about how to do it before or had built it, you know, Jason, make you send me a fax. I want that in the mail. Okay. That might all worked on March 13th, but it didn't work on March 16th. And so it just put the entire well industry into a, how are you going to deal with this right now? And how are you going to change the process? And what do you need and what do you don't? And, and how are you going to, you know, rationalize where you're going? And I think it just brought a ton of focus. I've seen it bring everybody, you know, I, I would think Jason, in your company, you've seen more interest post COVID yep. because I can't go across the street and see the customer. I can't have lunch with the customer. I now have to complete this whole thing online. I don't have access to my printer. I, that's what yeah. I get. Like people, we have agents calling and say like, we're starting to use you guys more because our team can't use the printer at the office because they're working from home. So they'd rather do things digitally. Yes. Great, great, <laughs> great, right? Hey, I um, don't care what makes it change, Yeah, but the, it's clear to me that the breath uh, with an intensity of this wave of acceleration and the change of the process is unprecedented in our industry. And I believe we'll change it forever. Good. Good. Um, I want to wrap things up. This has been awesome. I want to wrap things up with a, a question that we ask all of our guests at the end of the podcast. And it's, it's related a little bit to who we are and what we do and, um, and the brand here. So uh, enlightenment is defined as the state of having knowledge and understanding and this podcast is all about enlightened insurance agents, i.e. the people you rely on to distribute your products. Um, 
I'd love to hear any stories you can share about enlightened agents you know and some of the things that they've done uh, that makes them special. That's a great and, and question. And you don't have to name names. Uh, uh, stories yeah, no, no, no. That's a, that's a great question. I mean, I'll give you an example uh, just recently in Connecticut and very close to our hearts with the Traveler's Charity, you know, being um, the hole-in-the-wall gang. So with the recent tragedy of the hole-in-the-wall burning down here, um, <clears throat> many of our agents across the country, knowing we're a sponsor of it, knowing how much the hole-in-the-wall gang means to the Traveler's, um, we said that we would match a million dollars if it was off. And it, we would put up a million, match up to a million dollars of any donation. Um, we, what happened we, there? I don't, I don't know that everybody's going to know about what happened. So do you want to? So the, the hole in the wall gang takes care of sick children. Okay. And it's um, it was started by Paul Newman. Paul Newman yeah. okay. And Paul Newman was with the Sundance Kids. I think yeah. Jason doesn't know who he is, Dean. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I've run into this before. You know, if okay. I ask him who Freddie Flintstone is, we're going to be here a while, right? right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Paul Newman watched the Sundance, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, one of the best yeah. movies ever made. He really cared about children. He built what he called the hole in the wall, which was featured in his movie. Okay. Uh, and it was for very sick, very, very, uh, uh, very, very old children. Okay. And he, he built it. So these are children that couldn't go to camp and he built a whole place where they could come to camp for a week to be, to, to be a kid. Yeah. And they have all the facilities to deal with any issue that a child has so it's really special. So he built that. And unfortunately, two weeks ago, uh, a fire broke out and it burned to the ground. And oh. so has to be clear. You know, obviously, there's insurance, but uh, we offered to put up a million dollars to help build it better. And um, our agents and our community partners across the country, especially in Connecticut, came in and matched our million dollars in less than five days. So that would tell wow. you all of the spirit that we always receive from our agents and the community. And I've got no better way to, to show their gratitude and thank them than that story. That's pretty special. Um, Sick kids. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get it back up, get it back in business and for the kids as fast as, and as soon as we can. Good for you for leading the charge. That's awesome. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, happy to hear that. You, you know, I really enjoyed all this, uh, Patrick, and I I'm, I'm just want to give you a chance in case there's uh, anything else you'd like to add before we go. Um, we don't have another hour, so I don't think you can talk about your Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, ooh, if there's anything quickly. <laughs> so, Dean, Dean, I might be an underwriter, and uh, you know, I might actually be judicious about taking risk but not with the Eagles. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. I'm going to be in my seat in Philly opening day. I don't care if you're a quarterback, man, we're going to win. All right. That's how I start oh. every year, buddy. I've been right <laughs> once in 59 <laughs> and 302 days. Well, I think that boundless enthusiasm and optimism has served you well in your career, though. Um, and <laughs> If you guys ever want to really understand a Philly fan, an Eagles fan, Go on Prime Video and rent the movie maybe next year. All right. You <laughs> will see my you will see my childhood. All right. All right. We got a film recommendation from the enlightened agent. So um 
Yeah, I really have enjoyed all this, though, Patrick. And I, I'd suggest anybody listening, uh, you know, you, you, you talk about a lot of issues that are near and dear to your heart. And uh, your speech at the when you were honored by the Spencer Education Foundation, really great piece on YouTube, and I'd encourage people to look it up. Um, I want to really thank you for your time. I don't know if you or Jason have anything else to add, but I, 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 I'd love to just uh, conclude there. Thank you for having me. I'm flattered to be here. And thank your audience for spending time with us today. Thanks, Patrick. Really appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Look forward to seeing you in person. Take care, guys. All right. Take care.